Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. My name is Trina Ramsey, and I'm calling, and I'm coming to you on behalf of the Revolutionary Sisters of the Diaspora. This is a monthly show for black and brown women, and we come together to discuss issues of race, social, economic justice, gender equality, and everything in between. And tonight our topic is about finances. The title is Black and Brown Women Face Their Finances, How Green Is Your Purse. And we're very excited to have with us celebrated author Deborah Owens, who is America's wealth coach and also the author of a book that we've gotten to know very well, A Purse of Your Own. So just to set the stage before I turn it over to our illustrious host this evening, Sabrina Wood, we are here as part of the Power Network. This is a collection of people who who are really interested in social justice issues. It's an acronym. It stands for PEACE. One Love, Wisdom, Empowerment, and Revolution. And we decided as we were coming into this year, 2017, that it was really important for women of color to have a platform of our own to be able to to discuss some of these issues and to really be able to own the narrative as opposed to responding to something that's happening in the news or doing a Point counterpoint. So we have um, really enjoyed being on the air. We're here the third Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. And I see we have a caller already, but we're going to um, at least get our introductions done first, and then we'll be going to the phone. If you would like to speak on this topic, you can give us a call at 619-924-0980. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sabrina Wood. Sabrina. Thank you, Trina. This is Sabrina Wood, and I'll be your host tonight. This is a special occasion with our guest, Deborah Owens. I am from um, the CPA world. My name, again, is Sabrina Wood. I'm a senior director at Caliber CPA Group. And tonight we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about how green is your purse with, as you heard, America's wealth coach and financial expert, Deborah Owens. Just a little bit about Deborah's background, then I'll let her tell you you about her journey. She is the author of several books, one of them with the great title, Nickel and Dime Your Way to Wealth, the other one, Confident Investing, and the one that we're going to focus on tonight, A Purse of Your Own. She's also the host of her own talk shows on NPR, and she's been on CNN and PBS. So, Deborah, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm really excited to talk to you. And what I would really like to know is just a little bit about your journey into the financial world. Oh, let me just first say I'm so excited. Uh, I, You have made my dreams come true, and what I mean by that is when I wrote the book, A Purse of Your Own, this is exactly what I, I uh, my goal was, really. In the last chapter of the book, A Purse of Your Own, I talk about starting a purse group, five to ten women getting together. I mean, we get together to do a lot of things, but unfortunately, far too many of our purses aren't where they should be. And so the whole goal of A Purse of Your Own was really to uh, kind of collaborate and have women uh, leverage their unique strengths. You being a CPA have been able to influence your group. And so I just wanted to begin by thanking all of you and uh, telling you that, um, you know, you know you're on purpose when things are going on and, uh, you know, in, and you're not involved in it. So thank you for that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was just telling this story about how I got involved in the I got involved in the financial services industry on a kind of a dare. Uh, I had this <laughs> friend who um, who uh, said, you know what, Deb, I I got this. You know, well, first of all, my mother said I was working like for in retail, and she says you're never home during the holidays, and so you need to get a nine to five job. And you know, I thought about that for a minute. I was <laughs> like, well, you know, mother has a point. One of the few times I actually listened to my mother at that young age, right? 
right. uh, my, my friend of mine had a, uh, uh, a connection at Merle Lynch, and she uh, said, hey, you should go here. And I said, oh, well, I, I didn't know much about investing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did, I interviewed, but the only role they had was as the receptionist. So I was like, receptionist? But you know what? When I walked in that office, I, I, I felt like I belonged there. And right. I don't really know how to explain it, but all I w- will say that after a few, sh- I took the role, and after a few short weeks, I felt like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And And so what <laughs> I mean by that is, you know how she – she opened the curtain and she figured, oh, well, this isn't all this complicated. I already have what I need. Well, that's exactly how I felt. You know, I, I started out by giving quotes to, uh, I was in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, where Ford headquarters is located, and people were calling and asking for quotes on Ford and GM, and I just it just all made sense to me. It was like mm-hmm. I was learning a n- new language, but it wasn't that complicated. And so, you know, a few uh, uh Months after that, the branch manager came out and said, you know, it's pretty clear you're overqualified for this position. Do you want to get your your securities license? And that's really how it started. And, you know, I, uh, I just uh, excelled, and then I was recruited by Fidelity Investments and, and had a pretty quick trajectory at Fidelity, and they were very supportive of me. I did a lot of public speaking and a lot of community outreach. They sponsored my first radio show on WOL right there in D.C. Kathy Hughes gave me my start in radio. And so long story short, um, I really had a love of connecting with the community, and I really wanted to demystify uh, the financial markets, and so that's when I started. I wrote books. I toured with Bishop Jakes. I did tours with the NASD, which is now FINRA, and sort of like the, right. the rest is history. But, uh, you know, when I wrote the book, A Purse of Your Own, I wanted to answer the question, and this was the question I wanted to answer is, you know, I saw so many women struggling, you know, no matter how much income they made, they were still struggling. Exactly. And so I wanted to answer the question, what do financially successful women know that most women don't? Uh, mm. And within the book, A Purse of Your Own, I uh, identified seven attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors that I call the seven wealthy habits. Yes, and, ma'am. Uh, what awesome. I, yeah, what I found was that financially successful women do almost the opposite of both what most women do, and so that's why they end up in a different place financially. Exactly. Thank you so much. And I'll tell you, Deborah, we have a lot of things in common. And and one of the reasons why I got into financial services as well is because I was doing tax returns, you know, as a as you know as a second job, and saw the same mm-hmm. thing: people working, you know, two and three W twos and working all around the clock. And just you know, when you ask them how much do you have for dividend income, how much do you have in capital gains, do you have any stock, didn't have a thing. And I I just couldn't understand it, and I and I really was searching for a way too. Now, the group that we are representing here, that's doing the radio show, we have gone through what you call the sisterhood of the purse, and I was mm. uh, the leader. Of, so we've gone through this book. So if anyone is listening, you know, or if you're following along with us with the book, again, it's called A Purse of Your Own. The book is is, is going to go through and tell you about the seven habits, and Deborah and I are going to go through those seven wealth habits in a moment. And if you're calling in, we'll ask, we'll answer any questions about it. But the book also gives you a template or a guidepost on how to get started, and that's what we want to talk about tonight as well. So, I, I also want to say when you were talking, I'm sorry. Hello, everyone. This is Angeline. I'm I'm staying back tonight. I'm not going to be talking a lot. But uh, Sabrina, what you talked about was, you know, having the same experiences as Deborah. And uh, realizing that you were going through these tax returns and, and you were asking people questions about, do you have this, do you have that? And it's not only that they didn't have it, you would have asked me that question, and I would have said, what is that? Mm-hmm. What is a dividend? What mm-hmm. is a stock? What mm-hmm. is, you know, all of these things. So it's not only a matter of not having those items. It's also a matter of not right. even knowing what they are, right. what you should have, what it looks like. Right. And, 
you we went through this book and we we struggled with it and <laughs> we have, there were like many a day we were pulling our hair out like Sabrina wants us to do this. Um, but it, was really, it was really important, and I think um, I know we'll get into a little bit more about the fear that we have about money, right. the fear that women have about money, that women of color have about money, because we always feel like there's never enough. And right. so you're just trying to just make sure that ends get met without thinking on the long term. So exactly. hopefully we can get deeper into that, those issues. Okay, so we oh, will. Oh, I but love we'll, it. <laughs> so oh, we, yes, I, I love we have, it. I mean, can I, can I just respond to something though? Because um, we, we have a. Yeah, go ahead. On the line, okay, perfect. <laughs> we have a few people on the line. Yes. So if you're listening, and we know that in some cases we gave out the phone number as a way to listen, but if you would like to speak, push one on your phone, and that way we will know to at least put you on the air. But we won't bother you unless we see your, your light go on, so to speak. So if you're hanging out listening to us, thank you for joining us. But if you would like to speak at any time, push one on your phone, and then we will know to put you on the air. So, Deborah, you were going to respond to that. Yeah, I want to respond because here's what I want to say. I really want to clear the air uh, because I think for – so so when I wrote – I. I when I wrote that book, I was doing, I haven't advised in years, but I kept having this situation happen where I would refer people to financial advisors because I do a lot of work in the industry and, you know, some of those investment companies are clients. And so I would refer right. people and the advisor would call and say, oh, Deb, I thought you said Angeline was going to call me. Or Angeline <laughs> would call me and say, oh, well, you know, I went and I talked to him and I just didn't feel comfortable. He was talking over my head. And so this, yeah. there was this real disconnect. And so because, because, because of that, I started uh, at the, 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 the um, urging and encouragement of my son, who does a lot of the, the company strategy. He was like, man, what, what are you doing with all these people, all these, he calls them leads, of course, that are coming in. I was like, oh, I refer them. He says, well, what happens to them? I said, oh, well, sometimes they... They do, you know, go with an advisor. He says, well, mother, you're the, you're known as America's wealth coach, and coaching is personal. So you should start doing some of this coaching and just helping people, um, you know, get to the point where they have confidence around the financial markets and how they work. My young man. For the past, yeah, you know, out of the mouths of babes. Huh? <laughs> so, I think that was one of been, your, you know, in the in in the book, you do do a great job on going through some of the language of finances, and you know I think it's the same. I, I'm a tax specialist, and it's exactly the same thing. Finances, even tax work, even people who have a financial background freeze when tax words come up, and so the language is really, really, really important. And I find that once people understand what the language of the financial world is, then they're like you. They're like Dorothy pulling across, pulling that curtain back, and they know. I and know that's my about. point. Yes, and exactly. that's my point. And so what what I learned, though, in wealth coaching for the past 18 months is I didn't realize how much shame and fear there was around it. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like, oh, okay, well, you know, and that's what I told my son. I was like, well, you know, I write books. I speak all over the world. I mean, you know. They'll, they'll get it. And he was like, no, mother, they won't no, they don't. because there's an impediment. And you know what? Here's yeah. what I want folks to understand. I mean, where would you learn? Did you learn it in elementary school? No. Did you learn in middle school? No. Did you learn how to invest in high school? No. Did you learn no. how to invest in college? You know, I got, I got an MBA, and because I uh, focused in management, business management, there was no investment content at all. And so if I it finally dawned on me, this is this is like by design. You know what I mean? Like you uh-huh. you you know, if you're ignorant the well kept ignorance secret. is expensive. <laughs> so that means you have to pay someone to um to how do I wanna say, um to 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 you you that's why you have middlemen. So you got to pay yeah. someone to basically, um, uh, what do I want to call it? Yeah, decipher, decipher. it. Right. It, absolutely. And so what I want Translate. the listeners to understand is it's not as difficult as you think. 
But so so the point is, it's not hard, but it ain't easy. <laughs> so I just I just thought about what Angela Lynn said. Like we were pulling out our hands until we had to do it. Right. And so one of the other things I learned after we launched the purse campaign, uh, Sabrina, is you really do need a leader, right? Someone who is not intimidated by that language and kind of can coach other the other members in the group so that you don't, uh, you know, get discouraged. Right. And, you know, it's really funny because I learned this language almost as funny, almost the same way you were sort of doing it. I was working at a law firm. I was a tax person at the law firm. But one of the things that I was asked to do was to take the notes during the investment meeting of the trustees. So, you know, I was like, why am I, so I'm a CPA. Why do I have to sit there and take the notes? I'm not a secretary. Why am I doing this? But I said, okay, <laughs> fine. No, fine. I'll do it. And I learned so much taking those mm-hmm. notes when they sat there with the investment advisors coming in and telling us what we should do with each trust portfolio and when to sell and when to buy and what to buy. And you know I went and bought the same thing that they put the order in for. <laughs> I might have bought like two shares, maybe not a full lot, but I did it. And it was really how I learned. And, you know, when you say, like, how do you get in? How do you, how do you make it into that club? Where do you get it? Who tells you? Mm. But one of the things I want to do, and I, I want to move forward with what the book is all about, I want to go through the seven wealth habits because I think that, you know, everything we're talking about, we all know. Women are sort of scared. We don't have the information, whatever, whatever. But this, what makes this book different is that you're giving women the foundation. You're telling them how to think. And I want to just run through one quote from your book that I love, and I think everyone should either, like, make it a a meme or something because um, it was something that I think – is key. And you said, our brains are organized to think about a lot of things at the same time and that our brains work well with this kind of world of investing. And I was just like, great, you know, my brain that works on three different levels at the same time is totally geared for this kind of thing. And that was one of my favorite quotes in the book. Well, you know, it's interesting. I just just, uh, tweeted it or something that women... Are, are wired to be successful investors because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, many studies have been done and, and uh, that have, like the, I forget, I think it was the uh, National Association of Investors Corporation. They yeah. really looked at women investment clubs, and what they found is that women outperformed uh, their male counterparts, and, and part of it is because we do like to research we do like to understand. We are very thoughtful, and that is the same approach that really lends itself to becoming an excellent investor and, and understanding how you analyze and research uh, mm-hmm. uh, companies as opposed to going for the gut. And, and the other thing that I, I, the other myth that I want to dispel is that typically women are the CFOs of the household, whether they be single or not, and so. We just need to take that same kind of discipline that we have about managing household finances. That's the same way that a company manages its finances. In fact, you know, I created a curriculum for a university based on organizational budgeting and personal finance. And what I did was compare how you manage your personal finances to how a company manages their finances. And so I think uh, what has to be done is, to to give women the confidence that they need is to acknowledge that the skills you already possess the skills, now we just have to show you how to apply them in the investment world. Exactly, awesome. exactly. I think that women always come into investments and finance and, you know, even taxation thinking that they're they're behind, that they, they don't have the skill sets or they don't think the correct way when, in fact, they do because very very seldomly is is uh, taxes or finances or anything like that a straight line. You know you have to think of many many variables. There are all kinds of things that are going on. But um, so one of the things I wanted I want to also mention I, I've got a few different selections from the book that were my favorites. But one of the things that I think is something that everyone can identify with when you're talking about the purse and we're talking about how green our purse is, and it's that concept of the counterfeit purse. 
and the mm. person that and I will confess to you, I was that girl for a while. I was the one with the counterfeit purse, but I've learned my lesson, Deborah. I've definitely learned my lesson. But um, yeah, it's a lesson to learn. So tell us a little bit about what that phrase means, and I think we can all identify someone who's carrying that purse, but why don't you give us a little bit on, on that? Yeah, well, you know, the whole counterfeit purse uh, um, metaphor, if you will, or analogy really is just around women wanting to look the part as mm-hmm. if, if they're successful. And so what happens is we'll have all of the outward appearances. We'll spend, you know, we'll need that, that designer bag to give us that, you know, whether it be Louis Vuitton or wh- whatever. And the whole concept of luxury brands is that you feel like you're arrived, right? And yet, right. what we, you know, I'll never, I, I think the greatest example of that was a young woman going into, I don't know if it was Bendel's or somewhere, and she was buying a $2,500 purse with her, I guess she got a tax return or something. Now, uh. here this woman was on, uh, she was a student, uh, she wasn't making a lot of money or anything. And they thought she was shoplifting it. Well, well, what what's the uh, lesson in that? The lesson in that, I think, oftentimes. Or I just saw this story with some rapper went into Holt Renfrew and uh, dropped like thirty five thousand dollars on some designer goods uh, because he wanted to prove to them that he wasn't broken. He had the money. Now that is insane. Okay, because <laughs> you know one one totally. of the things that, and so that's the counterfeit part in the purse. You look the part, but you have nothing of real value in there, right? Yeah. And yeah. so you yeah. know the the point I want to make, and, and one of the things I observed very early on is that, you know, real wealth, it, it's quiet. You wouldn't even know it if it came in the door. It doesn't drive a Mercedes Benz. It's not walking around with five thousand dollars bags or, or red bottoms, typically it's a five-year-old car uh, and, um, you know, in the book Nickel and Dime Your Way to Wealth, I talk about the parking attendant. You know, he had on some khakis and a, and a hat. I mean, baseball cap. You never would have known this gentleman that was a parking attendant, right, had a half a million dollar portfolio. And so I think the, um, you know, the, if we were to talk about the first and foundational habit, right, it right. is a wealthy outlook and the habit of adding value. And so as what is value at the end of the day? You know, for, you know, for something to be a value, a value, it means it increases its its worth. And so, you know, foundationally, and it's so interesting. I was on a coaching call earlier, and it was like the, the second call. And the first you had any aha moments, and she was like, oh, my God, uh, let me just tell you. It's like I was here, and then I was thinking, what am I doing? I'm not I'm, – I'm watching what I'm – I'm spending thoughtlessly. I went in for one thing, and I came out with, like, ten other things, and – and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I thought about that, the habit of adding value. I wasn't doing anything to increase my net worth. And so, right. you know, the the way that I, that I like to explain the difference, be, and so that's an income mindset really is what it is, right? You earn an income and you spend every dime you have. And and the, the, in, the whereas the wealthy woman thinks about, the long-term implications of the decisions that she's making with her resources every day. You know, so if one, I guess you guys probably did the, um, you know, a few of the exercises just based on when a wealthy woman spends her money, what does she think about? Will this money make more money, right? And so it really, what, what becoming a wealthy woman is about, it's about, Really, wealth is an inside job, and the way I like to explain it is that a poverty-minded person uh, uh, thinks and manages their money day to day. Whatever money they have, it's gone. Uh, a poor person thinks and manages their a poor-minded person, right? So you can you can make six figures and still have a poverty mindset. Thinks and manages Absolutely. their money week to week, so paycheck to paycheck. Middle class mindset month to month i mean they even sell us cars and homes based on how much we can afford month to month you know a fluent minded person 
thinks year to year. As you're a tax accountant, you allocate your finances annually. You know where that money's going. But a wealthy person thinks and manages that with a wealthy mindset, thinks and manages their money generation to generation. And so the oh difference between a poverty-minded person, right, and a wealthy person is simply what? What is the difference in those different economic stratas that I just conveyed? And how they think. It's time. time length of time. Right? Mm-hmm. And so time you is begin money. To make, yeah, when you begin to make your decisions around the long-term impact of that financial decision, when you are expending resources, you're going to make different decisions. Okay. Got you. Got you. And then... So that's like the wealthy habit of the outlook. You're looking at to add mm-hmm. value. So next one you have, and I like a little, so that's outlook. And then the next one is called vision, which on the face of it sounds like almost the same thing, but one of them you're saying adding value and looking out. And then the second one you're saying looking inward and looking at what's that's going correct. on with you. So the second Within, wealthy habit is both vision. Indeed. And so that's, the habit of leveraging your unique strength, right? Like, you know, with women, I mean, sometimes we always want to be something other than what we are. And the, oh, and yeah. the point is, one of the things that, you know, one of the things that I had identified in successful women in this habit, they leverage their unique strength. You know, whatever, that's what makes you stand out. And that is the gift that once you figure out what that unique strength is, that unique talent, that is the gift that you're going to serve the world with. And when you serve the world, that is how you, what you're going to add value to others with and ultimately will become the source of the wealth that you accumulate in your life. Yeah, and I think this was something that people really sort of struggle with. Like they say, what is mm. my unique gift? What is it? But it could be something really simple, like re- you, maybe you are really good at one particular thing, like, you know, you have some love of something that is so deep. You're a great cook, or you like movies, or like Trina, she's such a great coach. Uh, Angeline is a great organizer. It, it, it can be any one of those things that you may not think is unique, but it is. You're really great at this thing, and people just sort of take a little inventory and I say to people, what do you really like to do? If somebody said, you know, you don't have to be anywhere today, you don't have to spend any money, blah, 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 what would you do? And that may be where well, can your I give you two clues in terms of identifying that gift and talent? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. It's something that I, yeah, I want to, so it's something that I do with with coaching clients, particularly if you're under-earning. Well, I don't mean under-earning. I think women oh. sell themselves short, Right. And so one okay. of the one of the clues is that that gift really um, it 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 you you that gift became prominent in your childhood, and it's the ah. thing where someone someone it's the thing that you do and you lose sense of time and space, right? So mm-hmm. so for me, it's I I love giving presentations, right? And so I can really lose myself in preparing it. And when I'm in the midst of it, I lose sense of time and space. So I always have to have someone there giving me time because I will literally be in the moment. So I want you to think about that thing that you do when you lose sense of time and space. And it also gives you great joy, right? So so it gives you energy. And you probably did it when you were a child. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it gives you you great joy. You're as a child then. (laughs) Well, you know what? Deborah, I'm the you youngest in my family, and uh-huh. so I was. I did perform. I did. Absolutely. Uh, my brother the gets bad at first business. presentation I gave, I bombed. And so, but I knew <laughs> I had that desire. So, you know, you can still have that desire, but in order to bring it into fruition, so I took a public speaking course, and all the, I did a lot of uh, small presentations, and then the rest was history because I knew that it gave me joy. And then the second thing that the second clue I want to give folks for identifying what their gift is, is that people have complimented you about this, your entire life, whatever your gift is. They say, Oh, you're such a great organizer or, and, and, but the problem is that typically when someone tells you 
gives you a compliment. Women are kind of um, uh, programmed to oh, say, oh, it's nothing. You know, we'll, we'll deflect it or diminish it. When exactly. that is that that is a really get good indication of what your uh, true talent is. But oftentimes we don't even realize that it's a gift because we think everybody else has it too. My mom told me to just say thank you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, my We're mom said, that. oh, you don't never than anybody else. <laughs> my mom said, just say thank you and smile. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So now we're looking out. We know we've got the macro picture. We're going to add value. Now we're looking for our unique gifts and our vision. So the next habit that we have here is the one of appetite. And uh, I think we both sort of mentioned it a little bit, and that's the habit of acquiring knowledge. That's right, and increasing your financial acumen because at the heart of all fear and shame around investing and taking risk is a lack of knowledge. If if you increase your financial acumen, I mean, think about anything that you do that you've never done before. You have some fear and intrepidation about it. So mm-hmm. the fact is, what do you need to do to become confident in anything? What do you need? Practice. You learn. Yeah, you need to study it. You need practice and confidence, right? Uh Uh-huh. And so that's why financial acumen is so important, and that's why, uh, and that was a recurring uh, observation in financially successful women, is that they uh, they they read the Wall Street Journal, they or uh, or had subscriptions to Money Magazine or Black Enterprise or, or you know, they watched CNBC, and they, they were very intentional, right, around mm-hmm. uh, increasing their financial acumen. And even though many had investment advisors, they were still competent in their own right so that they were able to then evaluate if that advisor truly was uh, adding value to them. Right, right. I think one of the things that always amazed me, as I said, I I started at uh, KPMG and then I went to Mellon Bank where we did high net worth individuals. And one of the things that shocked me all the time when I was sitting in those meetings was watching women of great wealth. You know, a lot of times it was either inherited or they married it, but they had Mm -hmm. it. at the beck and call of the advisor, you know, just listening to what the man told them about their money and then doing exactly what he said. And I, I just found it just really very disconcerting that... Uh, yeah, think, well, because look at Madoff. So everybody wonders how, how uh, yeah. Madoff uh, have that Ponzi scheme for all of those years. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there were two things, greed. But the bottom yeah. line is if you had a basic understanding of the financial markets, you would have known that if the markets were down 10% in a year, but you were still getting 10% on your money, that's that the jig was up. Right, that something was up. He can't right. be that smart. But. Right. So then it comes back to the greed part because people got greedy. Cool. So it looks like we have a couple of callers, so we're going to go to the phones. Yeah, just, again, if you are – if you've called in, I see a couple people have called in recently. If you would like to speak to us and, and have a question for Deborah or Sabrina or you have um, a comment, you read the book, you want to talk about it, push 1 on your phone, and that way we will know to put you in the queue uh, to speak. Otherwise, we will assume that you are just listening. But if you would like to speak, just push 1 on your phone, and we'll be able to see you. Okay, so we've got a nice little group of callers there, but they all seem to be just a little shy. So, uh, well, we're right, not, so, we're gonna, so we'll keep it. No, we're not. <laughs> that is one thing, Deborah. So we're going to move on this. to the next. The next um, what I really want people to get out of this, though, is that the foundation of any of this is going to be getting these habits down. So uh, we've gone through the first three, and this one I, I actually put a little mark next to because I, I think this is one of the – they're all key, but this is the one, and that's the, the, the wealthy habit of mindset. Mindset. Yes, so ma'am. This is the one that's going to make or break you. So 
Deborah, give us a little bit about how you go about facing adversity, especially in this time of Trump and resistance and change and uncertainty. How do you keep the mindset going? Number 45. Well, you know what? <laughs> that was the the first observation that I made very early on in my career is that the truly wealthy people, the truly successful brokers did all opposite of what most people did, right? They always went uh, counter to the crowd. And so mm-hmm. the the wealthy mindset is really the 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 uh, ability to view problems as opportunities because typically oh. that's what they are. So, you know, we we have a so so we can just look at the housing crisis as an example. You know, at the height of the housing crisis, everybody was buying bigger homes, bigger homes, bigger homes because they felt like they were missing out and they were buying at the worst possible time, right? And so right. then the market crashed and even now, you know, I was speaking to a, a, a large organization, to one of their employee resource groups, and many of the millennials are afraid to buy homes, right, because <laughs> they saw what happened to their parents. And, you know, the yeah. point I made to them is that you're never going to see as interest rates as low as they are right now. So for oh, you, uh, it's, it, and, and they're paying like $2,500 a month in rent. They're yeah. paying a mortgage already. And so, uh, you know, the ability to view problems as opportunities is essential to be an investor and be able to stay in the game and make money regardless of the ups and downs of the market. But the other aspect of that is how it plays in your, uh, in your own life. Viewing problems as opportunity is another unique way value, right, and to keep yourself relevant and um, and and someone within an organization that people value and your ability to solve problems, right, because you, you know that person, that person who yeah. comes in every day and, oh, they're just complaining about everything, right, mm. where you see the person, you get a new person come in and they have a totally different perspective and the next thing you know, they're coming up with all these solutions to maybe, you know, clients are calling in and they're complaining about it and they come up with a solution, eventually that person ends up being your boss. Yeah, right. I have a a question, Deborah. It's around mindset, but also um, around scarcity mentality. Mm. So for those of us who grew up, without having money and therefore are really, you know, the the thought is, well, um I don't I don't want to put money away or I don't want to, you know, I'm afraid of the mar- the stock market and I really I need to I need to have money in the bank. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And and you know, that that is not necessarily always a bad thing, but again, I'm going to go back to once you increase your financial acumen. Now, now one of the things I thought was brilliant is Sabrina is listening to these people. She's observing, and she says, well, I don't have a lot of money, but I can buy a couple of shares, right? Uh-huh. And so the the way you diminish your fear and get rid of that scarcity mentality is through actual experience, right? So if you're someone who's risk averse and you, you 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 know oftentimes if you haven't had a lot still no matter how much you get you're afraid of not having so that's the scarcity mentality and so the way you counter that is really is by taking small baby steps and when so if you let's say you've got ten thousand dollars in the, the in savings that you know you're is really earmarked for long term retirement but you're afraid of risking it. So I don't, you know, suggest anybody just go and put that $10,000 in, you know, an investment. But what I would say is, okay, start out with like $100 a, a month in, 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 in maybe a, a stock that you researched or you know, primarily if, if, if it's less than $10,000, you're better off going into an index fund. And basically mm-hmm. an index fund is uh, a mutual fund that's where they simply buy whatever in a particular income. And in, in the most widely known is the S and P 500, or 500 of the largest companies uh, in the in 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 the financial markets, right? And so the right. way you you 
the way you increase risk, the way you you get rid of that scarcity mentality is over time. And, and, and so what I would suggest is that you take calculated risk. And there is a difference. And that is one of those that, that viewing problems as opportunities and having a wealthy mindset, one of the things that, that I identified as it relates to viewing the ability to see problems as opportunities is the ability to take calculated risk. Okay. Thank you, thank you. And, and I'm that other side that thinks there's always more money. <laughs> They've heard me say this before. I'm like, no, no, there's always more money. <laughs> Somehow you can make some more. All right, so if, you, if you're dealing with your scarcity mentality, if you're dealing with the, the mentality of abundance like I, I'm trying to do, you know, get your mindset set, people, and then you're going to move on to the next habit, which is called focus, the wealth habit Critical. of focus. Critical. And here's, here's where I have a little bit of problems because I, I can become unfocused at, you know, at the drop of a dime, and we'll talk about the next one after that, which is called systems. These two should be together. So let's talk a little bit about focus. <laughs> well, you know, focus, one of the uh, – so so oftentimes what I find is when people uh, where they think they should be, you know, like I talk to a lot of women who are, you know, mid-40s, 50, and they, they've done all the right things, and, and they know they should be further ahead, right? And right, so right. one of the reasons that they aren't – further ahead is simply because they really haven't created what I call a wealthy vision, right? And that is identify what's important to them, determine what their future will be, right? So you've got to be able to uh, have a visual representation of where you see yourself 10 years from now. So one of the things that we do is one of the exercises that is in a purse of your own, and it's called the sum of your dreams. And Mm. within that exercise is the first thing I ask you to do is, okay, what is really important? You know, so is it it spiritual faith? Is it it financial security? What, What are the things that keep you awake at night, right? And so those are the things that we make a priority. And so once we make them a priority, okay, what, what's the support that you need around that? So if it is financial security, typically it's either, you know, I am uh, not directed in my spending or and so, you know, we do some, some, some strategizing that way. Or sometimes it's you simply need to make more money, so we need to strategize around that. And then, mm-hmm. then we turn those into very finite goals, right? So wealthy go- wealthy focus is the habit of setting it and achieving goals. And that those goals, and then once we do those goals, we I have uh, women do uh, a, a vision board, a, a wealthy vision board. So we make a visual representation of that, those goals and those dreams and those aspirations. I want to have my house paid off. I want to be living near water. So those all become very finite goals. Now they're visual. visual. And so when I look at that every day, when I'm going through my day and I'm going to make, about to make a decision with my resources that, that don't align with what I said I wanted, then that those goals become your GPS. That vision board becomes your GPS. And you say, whoops, no, that's not where I'm going. You know, the, 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 the greatest thing that we need to learn it's just one sentence. And it's N O period. No. Right? Yes. But the problem <laughs> right. is and, and and I gotta talk to women women of color in particular, you know, because we are becoming enablers. Okay. What do I mean by enablers? That's another big is, ooh. You know <laughs> okay, you know, kids, you know, women, you know, paying for, for kids stuff, you know cars or supplementing income or, you know, we feel like they shouldn't have it as hard as we should or we have family members that feel like because we're doing okay that we should be the bank and trust. Here's what I want you to understand. You are not helping them. You are enabling them. You have to give intentionally and responsibly. I cannot say this enough. 
I, I tell my, my group here will tell you, I, I've said it more than once. It's just like they say on the plane. You've got to put your own mask on first. Then you can help others. You can't give away everything, you know, and, and help and, and have people just do the same thing over and over. My mom, my mom was a little bit of an enabler for a long time. My, my mother brothers. was the queen enabler. And yeah, I've watched just, how that worked with my siblings. I, and I said, I'm not doing that. None of that is working. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We must be middle children. <laughs> you know, I was the youngest, and my 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 oldest. So there was like five years between the next. So I was sort of like my my um, my siblings were. My oldest sister was ten years older than me, so they were almost mm-hmm. like my aunt or my mother. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so exactly. I had the I had the benefit of watching how things worked out for them, right? And said, "Oh well, no, that doesn't work too well. I don't think I'll do that with my kids." <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so, my, both of my children—they're uh, twenty, twenty-four. Well, about to be twenty-five and twenty-nine—and uh, and and they will tell you I was pretty tough, you know. And 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 I always told them, "I'm not your friend. I'm your mother." And oh, yeah. I'm determined. <laughs> and this is what I, the other thing I want to tell women: your job. Deborah, can I stop you for just one second? Sure. This is Angela, sorry. I I didn't want to interrupt, but you're coming in and out. You're muffled, so we're catching catching what you're saying, but there's a part of it that's a little muffled. So if you just speak directly into your phone, that would be be great. Thank you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, we can hear you. It's just at some points it's a little muffled, but go ahead. Okay. I think I'm moving around. I get excited, you know. (laughs) say to women is your job is to for with your children is to raise responsible adults who can take care of themselves because you may not always be there whoa <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you thank you thank you that's deep thank you for that They've got to be able to stand on their own and know how to do it. There's a, there's a great there's a great section in your book where you talk about a mother setting up her daughter for her first credit card and how to use that credit card and how to establish right. credit. And I, I tell you, ladies, if this is a book to to take a look at because it has a lot of good stuff in it. But uh, let, let's finish up. We've got the focus here. We got two more habits that I want to get through before I ask a couple more questions. And the next one I think is really key, and that's called systems. And that's what I was saying. I, I can I I am easily distracted, as people will tell mm-hmm. you. So <laughs> I know I will spend every dime I get my hands on. But you, I yeah, know this so about myself. Yeah. So the key really is to then make every one of those goals. You set up an an an, an investment account or a credit union cash reserve account for every one of your goals, and then you allocate into those accounts and you set them up systematically, you are paying it forward into your future. And that's what those accounts are for. And if you set them up systematically, then you don't have to, if you're waiting on yourself to write a check, you're going to spend every dime. So you set it up systematically so Mm -hmm. that those accounts are being funded uh, from each paycheck. Exactly. I, I can't change banks because I have so many things going into different pockets that it's going to be too That's hard right. for me to change my bank. So they're lucky. But um, I have to make it as automated as possible. And I think that's one thing that people say, oh, I can't do it. I know I've talked to people about putting away the entire max at work. I mean, at least to the point where you're matching what the company, you're putting away at least what the company is matching so you're not leaving anything on the table because there are no more pensions for most of us people. And I know that's painful for some people, but most companies, you can look into it, they'll, you can put in that 2% and the next year it'll ratchet it up to one more percent and then it's three and then it's four. And, you know, by the time you know it, you're there. But it's a little less painful. That's but right. If you can automate things, you know, any kind of way that you can, you know, you don't have to worry about the fact that you're your own worst enemy. Like me, yeah. <laughs> and and um, can we also speak to younger people? Because I know for me, I really one of the things that I would have done differently 
was to to start investing in my retirement was my very first job out of college. Oh yeah. But when I was younger, old old felt long long time ago. You know, from now retirement felt like oh well that you know I don't have to worry about that. I want my money now. Yeah. yeah. Can you speak to um, tips for to help encourage younger people to really take this seriously? Yeah, well, you know, what I would say for younger people is that they have the one thing that that money can't buy, and that's time. And so for them, even if they start out just putting, you know, 5%, uh, because I think the other uh, aspect that is preventing people for young folks is because they're coming out with a lot of student loan debt, which many of us didn't have when we were coming up. And so they really feel, um, you know, like they can't afford to. And so the key is to, to your point is you're giving away money, particularly if your company is matching. So to at least put into whatever that company match is, that's really what I want to encourage them to do. And if they feel like it's a burden starting out, to do exactly what you said, Sabrina, and that is to start with 2% and then go to the have it. You can set it up now where it will automatically increase by mm-hmm. 1% each year so that you're right. gradually it's kind of going into that waiting pool instead of uh, – and, and then once, you, once they see how that money grows over time, it's just amazing. It is amazing. It doesn't take long. And I, I've tried to tell people that, you know, it, it really $25 a month even can make a difference. Absolutely. So, okay, so we're on to the last habit, and we're running out of time here. We've got about five minutes before we wrap up. So I think this is oh, 10 minutes. Um, we've got legacy, and I think this is the one where you really, really have to pull it all together and that you have to give to receive. Absolutely. And so that's the, you know, we we end where we begin, right? The habit of Mm -hmm. adding value. And one of the points that I made was that mindset, you know, having that. So the wealthy legacy is the habit of paying it forward. And so the whole premise of the mindset of a wealthy woman really is having that generation to generation mindset. And so as it relates to people of color, what I really want to talk about women of color is to make sure that we have our financial house in order. What I'm seeing is that many people don't have wills, they haven't set up trust, and so many of those monies that you've worked so hard to accumulate now are going through probate and and, and, uh, or – and – Things aren't in order, and so a lot of those, that money goes to state settlement and attorney's fees. And so the, leaving a wealthy legacy means paying it for it, so uh, making sure that you have your uh, financial houses in order, but also that you pay it for it to your children. So I think one of the way we, ways that we can um, diminish or eliminate the financial illiteracy in our community is by making sure that we pay the knowledge that we have learned onto our children. You know, it's interesting with my own children, when they started their job, I did not tell them what to invest in. I coached them the same thing, I, the same way I coach individuals. I taught them how to analyze really? and research mutual funds, how to analyze and research stocks, they would come back to me and say, Mom, this is what I think I should do. And if it was great, I would say, okay, that's fine. If not, i said, well, did you think about this? Because I don't want to tell them. I want to teach them. And the other thing I want to say, too, is anybody listening to this call, please go to my website, com, and they can sign up for our, my newsletter, which comes out every week. And also uh, they can sign up just for if they want to learn more about our wealth coaching program. They can also sign up for a free discovery session or learn more about uh, how you really do, how to apply these habits that we're talking about, internalize them, and begin to um, apply these uh, seven wealthy habits so that they can build seven-figure retirements. You know, uh, they just did a study 
and the number of seven-figure retirement plans doubled since 2012. Well, if we look at the market, you can see how that can happen. But what I find so often is when I'm coaching women, we're still very conservative. A great deal of our funds are still in what we think are safe or guaranteed account. And what Mm -hmm. we don't realize is we're leaving a lot of money on the table because our money is not growing as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Deborah, I heard a statistic this morning on the radio that that uh, something like the mean amount in a retirement account for people in their 50s was like somewhere around $12,000 or something. Does that sound? That's about right. Yes. And if you that's look at and, and that's, that's median, right? So depending yeah. upon if we were to look at actual incomes, right? So like yeah. the I just saw like the medium income is about fifty two thousand dollars, and the average uh, amount of money at retirement, if you're at the median, is on a good day is maybe ninety two thousand dollars, which you well know is not going to be enough to live on. I mean, the goal should be to have ten times your annual income if you don't have a pension in a retirement account when you retire. Yeah, that's that's the number I came up with. <laughs> yeah, and that's, uh, you know, Fidelity did a study. They have this whole savings fact, retirement savings factor, and so that mm-hmm. really should be the goal. And so really what you should be thinking about is how do I close my gap? And so, you know, sometimes – you know, when I'm talking with women, you know, they think they're going to retire at 62. No, you're not going to retire at 62 because you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> you know, you're not going to have very, a very, very so unhappy. <laughs> and, and you know, many is- people end up having to go back to work, and it's very difficult to find a job in your 60s. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people aren't. And, and we could talk, we could do a whole other show. I know I'm you do another you. talk about that on <laughs> Of retirement and things like that because people just aren't ready Absolutely. for, you know, the the what medical is going to cost them in retirement and, and the, that the dollar that they have is not increasing as far as uh, inflation is and it's really really difficult and sometimes they want to stay in a place that's you know tax heavy. I just had one family they wanted to move back from one state to New Jersey. I said that's the that's the worst tax state you could possibly pick, mm. but um. <laughs> They wanted to be near the children. Wanted to be near the children. I was like, why? Let's talk about Delaware. Delaware. Let's talk about Delaware. (laughs) Husband and I just moved there. Thank you very much. Did you really? (laughs) Feeling good about that tax status there, huh? We're in in Milford, Delaware. Very small town. Yeah, I know exactly where. We go up to Bethany a lot. Yep, loving every minute of it. (laughs) Well, Deborah... (laughs) Now that we're kicking back with Angeline and her new house in Delaware, <laughs> that's where we're gonna head after this. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up. I really have enjoyed talking to you about this, and I think if anyone is still listening on the phone, I see we have a few people still. You know, one of the things I want to make clear is that whatever you're going to do with your financial plan, you've got to get the habits down as a foundation, or all is for naught. You know, you can have the best laid plans, but as I said, you know, I've got bad habits, and I know it. I've looked inside. I've done the, I've done the, uh, the vision. I've got the appetite. I've changed my mindset. I've focused. I got my systems in place, and I'm trying to leave a legacy for somebody. So, um, you know, people read the book, check out the website. Deborah, if you have any last words of uh, real importance that you want to give the, to the audience, that would be great. What I really want to tell people is. You know, the time to get started is now, but it's never too late. And uh, what I find mm-hmm. is having a lot, a lot of regret. And you can't have regrets. You never lose. You only learn. And so Ooh. I want women to understand <laughs> that you have that. to take ownership, but that it can be done. I've seen women go from knowing nothing to now they're more aggressive than I am in some cases. I've seen women who've been able to optimize what they have and now have a clear vision of what they want to do. 
is the bottom line is wealthy women think, act, and do things differently, and anyone can. Any woman can. All anyone it takes can. is knowledge, desire, and execution. Awesome. All right. That is awesome. Wonderful. So what um, – thank you very much, Deborah. I want to, on behalf of the Revolutionary Sisters of the Diaspora, yes. thank you so much. This was such a wealth of information. We probably – could have had two hours, three hours. This probably needs to be, um, probably needs to have part two. <laughs> and uh, just as Deborah said, if you want more information, please go to her website, www.debraowens.com. And Deborah is D E B O R A H Owens.com. Uh, I uh, am Angelina, and I would just like to again thank all of you for listening in. Uh, I really want to thank Tara Huffman, who was our solace sister who connected us to you, Deborah. When we were talking about this book and we were actually going through the book, uh, Tara said, oh, I know her. So, And that was, what, a year and a half ago or so, and we decided to do the show. And um, I said, We've got, we have to get her on. And I said, Tara, you still got that connection? And so I have to, to officially thank uh, our solace sister, Tara Huffman. Uh, our next show will be Thursday, July 20th at 7 p.m. Again, that's Thursday, July 20th at 7 p.m. And it is Misconceptions and Myths the realities of mental health wellness. So we hope you'll tune in for that. And I, again, want to thank all of you. We want to thank our hostess with the most. Sabrina Wood. <laughs> thank, you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Owens. And I hope everyone has a wonderful evening. And we'll talk to you next time. Good night. Good night. Awesome. Good, Good night. night. Thank you again. <laughs>